This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, Exodus chapter 20. If we could go ahead and stand in reverence to God's authoritative word. We haven't done that in a while. I'll read real quickly. Uh, it's going to be a shortened service today, sermon. So... Everybody can breathe. (laughs) Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 5. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to learn. From your word, we love you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If we can go to the first, uh, one of my favorite little postings, the obituary, how to write a good obituary about a bad person. Uh, Walter White, anybody know who Walter White is? Oh, okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, A.K.A. Heisenberg, 52 of Albuquerque, died Sunday after a long battle with lung cancer, a gunshot wound. A co-founder of Gray Matter, White was a research chemist who taught high school chemistry and later founded a meth manufacturing empire. He is survived by his wife, Skylar Lambert, son, Walter Flynn Jr., and daughter, Holly. A private memorial is held by his family. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to drug abuse prevention charities of your choice. He will be greatly missed. And I like that it says, how to write a good obituary about a bad person. And so we've been asking ourselves, you know, does the apple fall far from the tree? Uh, or does it? And so I know that it's a challenge for all of us as we've been reading Exodus chapter uh, 20 that, um, that uh, some of the things that our parents done or grandparents or great-grandparents, those things that are sinful, they tend to make their way through multiple generations. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about I was at a wedding and, um, and we talked about uh, people, a bunch of ladies that I was sitting around, a lot of them were, um, were widows, and, and they just mentioned that they would not, not want to remarry again, they, and especially their husbands who were gone. And that really began to make me wonder, what is it about um, my life that I hope that one day Robin would never say those things, or, or maybe she would, and I began to ask myself that question. I remember, uh, I don't really watch... Uh, I probably watched one episode of Bart Simpson my whole life. Uh, we were taught it was from the devil, and so I just stayed with that. But there was one scene, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the father, Homer, I believe his name was, I don't know his name, but the father, now she, Marge, uh, had some sort of amnesia, and um, she no longer remembered that she was married to her husband. And so she kind of had a blank slate. And I'm telling you that that's, that little episode that I watched was very intriguing. And because the challenge was, would she want to marry him again? Uh, and the way he was. And that's a good question, isn't it? I've, uh, there are certain seasons in my life with my wife, I'm, I prefer not to ask that question. Would you marry me again? Sometimes I like to joke with my wife. And uh, sometimes she'll be at Publix, and I happen to bump into her there. 
and, and there are people around her, and I'll go, Robin, like an old friend, Robin, and she'll look at me, and she's like, I put a restraining order on you, please step back, caught me off guard, you know, caught me off guard a little bit, um, one time, and, and I'll just share the story, I promise you, we were just kidding, okay, uh, I'm not trying to paint a picture. Really, the picture that's being painted bad would be for me. So I remember thinking, I was, I was mourning one morning. I was like, sad. And I thought to myself that when I get to heaven, uh, there will be no marriage. And I was literally sad. I woke up sad thinking about that, that I've been married to my wife for 31 years. And um, it just dawned on me that day that there would be no marriage that I would not be her husband, and she would not be my wife. And so I just kind of reached over, and I touched her arm and kind of awakened her, and I, I decided to just talk to her about what was on my heart. I was just opening up, and I'm building that part up. Um, and so I said, honey, can you imagine? We've been married all these years, and we wouldn't be married. I said, I'm just now imagining here that we're in, in heaven, and we bump into each other. And I would look at you and I would say, I know you from somewhere. And then Robin in her groggy voice, and I would, and she goes, and I would say, you have me confused with somebody else and keep on walking. So, <laughs> um, and honestly, that's a testament of, of me more and not of her at all. But I've been really challenged does the apple fall far from the tree? Those things that maybe are so obvious to point out about my parents, those things that aren't great, have they gone down into my life and into my own kid's life? And could I even see to my grandkids? You know, that we're not guilty by uh, generational um, People, we're not, we're not in trouble because of what they've done. But we pick up these bad habits, and that's what Exodus talks about. That it has generational uh, ramifications. Sin does. And so um, the challenge for us the last few weeks about does the apple fall far from the tree. And one of the things that could help us to maybe put a stop to it is, of course, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord Lord, are there things in my life that I carried on from bad experiences or from experience, and am I passing that down? Well, we've talked about anger in the past few weeks, and I told you that I used to have an anger problem, and Joy, who's our new summer intern over here, I told her some stories, and I think I left her in shock, some of my stories. I won't share the whole thing, but those of you who are here, I told her about the, the pool motor that I wanted to throw in somebody's car. So uh, I think she was in shock from that. But anyway, so one of the things that we can do is recognize, hey, Lord, um, is there something in my own life? Now, sometimes we can be self-deceiving. It's like, I don't see anything wrong, you know? It's kind of like having some spinach in your teeth. You don't see it. And uh, sometimes when I ask people to do the, the personality tests or the Enneagrams and, and people write down and then they, they're projecting 
something that's not necessarily true because they're, when you fill out those, those questions, you tend to project your aspirational self. So the best thing you could do if you're married is ask your spouse to fill it out for you. If you're uh, young, you can ask your parents to fill it out for you, a good friend, and they will give you a really good, and you combine those, you know, those tests, and then you can figure out really what kind of person, personality you are. And so the kind of person, so asking your spouse, asking a fellow believer, asking your pastor, you know, uh, hey, how do you think I'm doing in my journey with Jesus? Do you see anything in my life that, that, the, uh, that maybe used to be a problem with my parents or my dad, and now um, am I showing those same traits? You know, sometimes we look like our parents, but it doesn't mean we have to behave like them. And one of the things that can help us is self-awareness, and uh, it's kind of elementary to be self-aware and to help, as the, the Bible says that in Exodus, that those things have ramifications, but there are also positive ramifications for those who love the Lord. If I were to tell anybody this, if I was telling a married couple, you know, what it takes to, to be married for a very long period of time, one of the things I would say is having a spirit of, of repentance. You know, last week I talked to you, uh, shared a story about me uh, making this big mistake with my children. But I don't think the challenge is not to make mistakes, because that's tough, not to make mistakes. But I felt like what the Lord gave me some insight was to be willing to admit the mistakes and to repent and say, I'm sorry. To Jesus first and then to the family. So that's when the story was when I pulled over in the van. I pulled over and I opened that side uh, door and I, 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 I said I was sorry. I, I believe my kids have seen me at church or at home to say I am sorry. And it's not uh, because I've lived some perfect life. I've, there are times where I've, I've failed as a father and failed as a husband and failed as a pastor. But saying I'm sorry, I believe, is, is, is like ointment. To, to the heart, to soften the heart, to, to make sure that we're on the right journey with Jesus. We talked about forgiveness in our songs, you know, uh, this morning. And we talk about it Wednesday night in our small group, uh, life groups on Wednesday nights. Uh, but it takes repentance to say, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. And there are people who have wronged us. You know, we're going to be talking here in a second about forgiveness. And two weeks ago, we talked about that. How can we... How can we restore our journey with Jesus that, and put a stop to this, this, um, this ramification, if you will, of, of sin? Maybe that our grandparents have done. There are too many people that I know, too many stories that I know that, of people that have alcoholism, how it's gone from generation to next generation. So one of the first things we do, and I talked about it already, was to help forgive, to look at those who've hurt us and those who maybe have set a bad example to us is that one of the first things we could do, and I wrote in Spanish, uno, in case you don't know Spanish, okay. no matter what they did, they are imagers, whoever they are, whatever they did, we have to remember they are still made in the image of God. I'm not talking about making, you know, having this fake emotional response. I mean, see them the way God sees them with compassion and grace. Sometimes I have conversations with people who have different political uh, perspective. 
And, um, and sometimes people assume that I have the same political perspective as they, and so they kind of just loosen up and say you know, some things about other political people. And I just have to remind themselves and remind them, like, hey, we're all made in the image of God. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So we have to look at they, uh, quotation marks, as people who are made in the image of God. They are imagers. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, they still matter to God. They have value, and they have worth. And we need to remember that. Now, I know that we have some horrible stories. I can imagine some of you could say to me, and say, Pastor Mario, you, you didn't know my uncle, or you didn't know this. And, and uh, in past history in our ministry, we've had people who've had uh, sexual uh, abuse encounters and physical abuse. One time, a long time ago, we had, a, uh, and our church is not that big that you might start thinking too, but we even had like a domestic abuse in, in our family. That somebody confessed to me that there was domestic abuse in, the, in, the, in their relationship. And so we had to work with them. But again, we, one of the challenges is see the other person as an imager, someone made in the image of God. So I don't take this lightly. Uh, uh, this is not just a flippant formula, uh, that, but I understand that the pain and hurt that people go through. They are made in the image of God. They're not just sinners, but they have also have been sinned against. And one of the challenges for us is to look at them as someone who has been sinned against. So, so much so that they have now continued that, that pattern of sinful behavior. But not just sinners, but sinned against. Maybe they struggled with, with living right and doing right, and, and they never was modeled before them. One of the things that helps me when I talk to you about my father, my father was a street kid. He never had a father. My father had a box. And in those days, boxing, street fight, just to survive. If you see my father and you look closely at his, at his face, he has a broken nose. He's been, his nose has been broken multiple times, living on the streets, fighting just to survive. And so... I take that into account, that he had no father. I never met my grandfather because he died when my dad was only 10. And so we can keep going back. Who, you know, who hurt him? And so one of the challenges my dad, and I speak with uh, reverence towards him and, and honor, he, he struggled with anger, and some of you knew that. But I didn't know that it passed down to me until the Lord revealed it to me in a very serious way. But no matter what they did, they're a child of God. We're not to diminish what they've done, the, the wrongdoing they, that they have done, but it reminds us that they are human, and we are called to love them. Now, you don't, don't try to figure out what I mean by that, but no matter what, we are to love them. The Bible says in 1 John, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating, thinking nothing of it, is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. And you've got to love both. 1 John 4.20 from the message. Sometimes it's difficult and I recognize that. You know, there is someone in your life that you have, um, that you have actually been very gracious to. Someone who has caused you great pain. 
They've made countless mistakes and failures. This person we're talking about has hurt a great many people throughout the years and have done some bad things that deserve judgment. But somehow, time and again, you found yourself able to separate those actions from who they are. And you've offered them some form or level of forgiveness to them for the bulk of their actions. And you know who we're talking about, right? We're talking about ourselves. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. And so if you're able to be gracious to yourself, understanding, forgiving to yourself, then the Lord has given us the capacity to forgive and understand and be gracious to others. Amen? Amen. Step uh, numero dos. Numero dos. Release the past. God can help you. And I know that's easier said than done. And, um, and for those of you who know me well, we've, you know that uh, a, a big, you know, not a big event, but an event happened to me seven years ago. And so this is something I'm continuing to exercise as well. But release the past. My good friend uh, and, and leader, um, Reese, Reese Moore, wrote, and she told me, you can't read the next chapter if you keep rereading the last chapter. And I know this sounds like, like pop psychology, and I promise you I'm not into that. We don't play pop psychology, Christianity. You know, if you just do this and this and it's all better. We recognize the, com- the complexity of life and, the, and just some of the toughness of life. But I do believe that we need to release the past. Let it go, in a sense. But by not doing so, we rehearse it. We keep it fresh. And we're choosing not to do so. Sadly, I've talked to people that will just hold on to it. The the bitterness as though it it happened today. The unforgiveness as though the, the event happened today. And I'm not talking about, you know, like really big events I'm talking about somebody offended you, like they, they, they didn't call you back or they didn't, you know, some of them are so trivial if you think about it, but you hold on to it as though it happened today when it happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. In Proverbs chapter 19, it says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense, to look over, not act like it didn't happen, But you're choosing to look over the offense. You're choosing to look at someone as an imager. Someone who's been sinned against, not just sinner. To look over it. And so I would challenge myself and you to quit filling it with energy by always reliving the past. It's like taking a a wound that's that's healing up and just... constantly scratch the, the scab off. I don't want to try to gross anybody. Now, years ago, I'll tell you a story. Uh, as many of you know, I have a, a right ear that's, I was born with a, like a, an ear that was folded down, and my parents didn't know any better. We were on welfare, first-generation immigrants from Colombia, and somehow a doctor convinced them to do some plastic surgery on me, and, and they agreed, and um, those of you following me on Facebook, you, well, I don't know about if you know this, but my dad took me to the hospital for my first surgery and never told me why I was going. I thought we were going to visit people. 
And so I was five years old, and I got snookered into going to the, the hospital. Uh, but when they would do work on me, I, when I would go home, they would literally mummify my head. I would come out completely 100% covered except for my eyes and my mouth. Why? Because they didn't want me to keep, you know, the healing process would itch and, and, and it would scab over the scars and they would want, and I would want to scratch it. So they just literally had to make sure that I could not have access to scratch it. I'm giving you too much information. I had so many, I had skin grafts on my back, and I'm scarred on my back because I kept scratching at it. And you know what I ended up doing it? I ended up making it worse than the the scar would have been. I ended up making it worse. And sometimes when we live with unforgiveness and we kind of live it like it's happening today when it happened in the past, we keep scratching at it. We keep scratching and making it worse. And the Lord wants us to, to be healed. He wants us to be healed from this. Let's move on. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. One has to remember that when people hurt you, in 99% of the cases out of 100, they intended to hurt you very much less or not at all. And often quite unconscious of the whole thing. And so, again, it's just helping yourself and myself to look at people to, um, as imagers and to not to live in the past, but let it go. The third thing, we're going to go quickly, is to reconstruct the relationship. And, again, I'm not trying to just focus on myself, just, uh, just something we can associate with. You know, part of my ear problem was that they were trying to reconstruct it. They took out cartilage out of my, my, one of my ribs, and uh, before that, they tried to use an artificial cartilage uh, that didn't take. And so what they were trying to do is to restore it into somewhat that was, which is normal. In the Bible, it's tall, so many scriptures that we could read talking about reconstructing the relationship. It's not just about, I forgive you, but somehow can we reconstruct the relationship? There's a friend of mine, uh, she, her and her husband sang here uh, at our church uh, seven years ago, and he went wayward. He was he, was, he left, he left the, his wife. He went to another city, went to another state, and kind of lived this prodigal son uh, life, and he left. And his wife, this, his young wife, beautiful young wife, 25 years old, decided to trust the Lord and just ask the Lord for, to reconstruct that marriage. I talked to the dad uh, two days ago, and he tells me that their marriage has been restored. There was a reconstruction I think if anybody had a, an opportunity to say no, it would have been this young girl. But she trusted the Lord and allowed the marriage to be restored. It is an emotional, difficult step to take, but it's a step that I believe God is calling us to do. Luke chapter 17 says, if you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's a personal, a personal against you and repeated seven times through the day, and seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. The Bible says, forgive him. Reconstructing the relationship. Okay, let's move forward real quick. Number four, reopen the future. This is the tough part. Are we willing to reopen the future? I, again, the story that I just told you, my friend, uh, his daughter, held on and, and, and allowed a potential relationship. Now, I'm going to fast forward 
they have uh, been together, back together as a married couple about a year, and uh, they're expecting their, their new baby boy. And I asked them specifically, the dad, it's like, has it been legit? Is it real? And she goes, absolutely. Uh, the relationship has, has been restored, and there's, there's a future together. And I believe God can do that in our own lives with our dads, our, those who hurt us, those who have offended us, to, to extend grace, to extend, see them as imagers. Um, let's move forward. And, and especially if you can see them as imagers, I believe we're allowing uh, to reopen the future. And then the last one, but I won't take too much time, is to reaffirm the relationship. Now, I know of some stories that would be horrific. There was uh, a, a young man who was sexually abused. You know, so that person, if he was here to be today, he would say, Pastor Mario, uh, it's a lot easier said than done. And I totally agree. I rec- I'm not living in his shoes. I'm not living in his pain. I'm not living in his, his history. And I want to just trust the Lord to help that person find healing. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 5, uh, in, in that chapter, blessed are the merciful, for they will find mercy. Merciful is this. I recognize that I did not live your life, Bryce. And so whatever Bryce does, I'm not judging it based on how I lived my life. I am going to be merciful and try to see things through your life. And so whatever Bryce is doing, I'm going to see Bryce through his lens, his life, and have mercy on him. It's so easy to say, well, you know what I would have done? Yeah. But that person didn't live your life. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. And so what I would hope in the receiving mercy is that you would do the same for me. Can you imagine if we did that as a church? You know what, Mary? I haven't lived your life. I don't know your, besides, I really don't know you, but if I, I just don't know the intricacies of how you were raised. And so maybe something that you do that I don't agree with. And I'm saying, blessed are the merciful. You know what? If I lived her life, I would probably make the same decisions that she's making. You know, one of the things that happened in St. Louis, you remember the riots? It was so easy to just pass blames like, I just try to place myself in their shoes. Like, if I didn't have any money, I didn't was raised with any father figure, and I didn't have any hope in Jesus, and I began to say, Lord, give me a vision, an understanding of mercy to understand why people do certain things. And I came to the conclusion I'd probably do the same thing they're doing. Doesn't mean it's right. But I came to a conclusion I probably would understand. When someone votes for somebody I would never vote for, Lord, give me the concept of mercy. Help, them to see, help, help me to see them as imagers. And if I lived their life and I had their parents and I had their economic situation and I had their upbringing, I'd probably do the same as them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So reaffirm the relationship is the last step. Hey, we're going to move, we're going to, we're going to end here. I just want to say thank you for your attention. Thank you for allowing Jesus to, to work in your life and to begin to restore relationships right now. Let's close our eyes. And um, if you say, Pastor Mario, uh, I have a, a re- relationship that needs to be restored, uh, just pray for me. That's all we're going to say. 
If that's someone, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. Yes, amen, amen. Anybody else? You have a relationship that needs to be restored. So let's just pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would do that in the name of Jesus. Lord, that that you would help us to recognize that uh, even the act of restoring a relationship sets a good tone for one's life and for the family, for your greatest glory. We say thank you. Lord, I pray, God, that forgiveness is something that we value in our lives and in our church. Lord, that we see people as made in the image of God, that we would be merciful. Lord, that we wouldn't relive the passing and pick at scabs of the past. But, Lord, allow the healing that you can so easily provide. Lord, we don't minimize the, the tragedies of life. But, Lord, we know that you're more than capable of bringing healing and restoration. We say thank you, Father, and we love you. Be with us this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.